Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Monday. Hope you had a great weekend. Welcome to the Steve Day Show here live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. My name is Steve Dace. His name is Todd and His name is Aaron McIntyre. And we've got a lot going on on the show today as opposed to one day we'll come in here and say not much happening. Tune out. Right. Does anybody ever say we didn't get any of the guys we wanted? This draft class is probably getting me fired in a year. They should, because it happens a lot. Yeah. Does anybody ever say, dude, we struck out on like our top two lines of prospects here of recruits and looking pretty bleak. In fact, I've been calling around thinking I'm going to be updating my resume. Nobody ever does that, right? Did anybody in an offseason get slower, fatter, and dumber? Every offseason, everybody's bulked up, gotten quicker and smarter. You ever notice this, right? We could turn a corner if we went. It's the Costanza. I'm unemployed and I live with my parents. Yes. Who are you? Yes. Tell me more. One of these days, we just come in here and say, we have no freaking earthly idea what we're doing here or we're going to talk about. So just hang around and you'll find out in real time just as, as we do. All right. Before we get to anything else on the show here today, though, a reminder, don't blow it. Sunday is Mother's Day. So let me make sure we get this in right now. Sunday is Mother Day, Mother's Day, so don't blow it. Mom took care of you all those years. You can take care of her one day out of the year with our friends over at Books. Flowers that are cut fresh from the farms that grew them so they stay uh, and fresh and last way longer. So many unique arrangements as well. Make sure you don't miss out. Use the promo code Steve to get 20% off when you go to books.com. B-O-U-Q-S. B-O-U-Q-S is where you want to go. Don't mess it up. Just do it right now. Don't put it off another day. You'll forget. Books.com is where you want to go. Promo code Steve. 20% off just in time for Mother's Day coming up on Sunday. All right, coming up on the show here today, next hour, it will be your chance to ask me anything if you follow us on Facebook. At the bottom of the hour, the return of Ian Miller, who did some of the most important work during the reign of COVID stand, and he is back with a brand new book. We will preview that. But before we get to all of that, let us begin, as we typically do, with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Title 42, that illegal immigration policy enacted by Donald Trump in March of 2020 in an effort to curb those coming into the country illegally under the auspices of stopping the spread of COVID is coming to an end this week. And boy, howdy, did illegal aliens get the message. This is footage courtesy of Bill Nalugin at Fox showing a line of illegal aliens hundreds long waiting to pass over the border into Brownsville, Texas where this weekend a man careened his car into illegals and homeless already in the country standing by the roadway at a bus stop killing eight in gruesome fashion. Authorities suspect the act was intentional. The man's identity has not yet been confirmed, and unconfirmed video of the aftermath of the incident shows the male driver, who appears to be Hispanic, being arrested by police. Also in Texas, in an outlet mall outside of Allen, a gunman decked out in tactical gear got out of a car and started shooting seemingly at random, killing nine among those nine dead. They ranged in age from 5 to 61 years old. Authorities are investigating that tragedy as potentially domestic terrorism. Outlets like the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post were quick to claim the gunman, a Hispanic man in his 30s named Mauricio Garcia, was a white supremacist. 
Anyway, the Biden administration recently announced they're sending another $300 million worth of aid to Ukraine. Speaking of Ukraine, here's President Volodymyr Zelensky meeting with corporate brass of the monstrously large American multinational investment firm BlackRock, because why not? Meanwhile, in Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis wrapped up the Florida legislative session, taking a victory lap on the oodles of accomplishments he and the legislature got done. So this six-month period, uh, I would say to you, uh, has been the greatest period for conservative policy in the modern history of the Republican Party. Just listen to what we've done in the last six months. We have officially kneecapped ESG in the state of Florida. We have enacted universal school choice education savings accounts for every parent in Florida. We have prohibited the CCP from buying farmland and other land near critical infrastructure. We have expanded our pro-life protections by enacting the heartbeat bill. We've bolstered Second Amendment rights by enacting constitutional carry. I will soon be signing a ban on central bank digital currency in the state of Florida. We've produced record tax relief, more than twice the number of tax relief as the previous record, including family-friendly relief that has eliminated sales tax permanently on all baby items. Strollers, cribs, wipes, diapers, you raise your kids tax-free in Florida. That is just the first minute or so of a four-minute clip where even in that four-minute extended clip, DeSantis couldn't even list all of the accomplishments that he, again, in the legislature got done this year. That's pretty astounding. Chelsea Clinton has a very clear message for parents around the country. Don't give up your guns. And the last thing I'll say is a, a new effort that we're a part of uh, is the new initiative launched by the World Health Organization last week to try to catch kids up on their routine immunizations. In 2021 alone, more than 25 million kids under the age of one missed at least one routine immunization. And so we're working with WHO and the Gates Foundation and others uh, to hopefully have the largest uh, kind of childhood immunization effort ever over the next 18 months to catch as many kids up as possible um, because no one should die of polio or measles or pneumonia, including in this country where we also need people to be vaccinating their kids. Absolutely. One headline to rule them all, one headline to find them, one headline to bring them all and in the darkness bind them comes from the UK Daily Mail. Trans woman is cleared of flashing her penis at Ohio YMCA after judge ruled she's too fat for her genitals to be visible. And finally, videos from Donald Trump's deposition in a case involving an alleged rape have been leaking out. Here's what he had to say in one of them. When you said in that video that Ms. Leeds would not be your first choice, you were referring to her physical looks, correct? Just the overall. Not, I, I look at her, I see her, I hear what she says, whatever. You wouldn't be a choice of mine either, to be honest with you. I hope you're not insulted. I would not, under any circumstances, have any interest in you. I'm, being, I'm honest when I say it. Uh, she, I would not have any interest in. And that's what happened while we were away. It's <laughs> montage brought to you by Patriot Mobile. Americans are looking for the parallel economy. Unfortunately, 
there's not a lot of places to look right now. Thankfully, one of them involves a product we all must use in this day and age called our mobile phones. And that's where Patriot Mobile comes in. They're really America's only American mobile phone company. They've been great partners of ours for the last couple of years. And now they can offer you nationwide coverage on all three networks. You can switch anytime if you're a member. Move to a different part of town and maybe that signal's a little weak there, like some of my poker buddies. They're, they are on U.S. Cellular. Can't get a signal in my man cave when we, they come to play poker, for example. So maybe it's another part of the country that you need to um, upgrade your signal and change carriers and networks. They can do that for you anytime. Free of charge with their outstanding customer service team at Patriot Mobile. If you're a veteran or first responder, let them know. They'll give you even more incentive to make the switch. For the rest of you, you get a free activation today with the offer code Steve when you go to PatriotMobile.com slash Steve. Again, that's PatriotMobile.com. Or just simply call them at 878-PATRIOT. Use the offer code Steve there. 878-PATRIOT. People can call you a zealot. They can call you a lot of things. But they better include Broadcasting Pro because... After that, Donald Trump sang seamlessly right into the commercial, not thrown off at all. I laughed at it plenty like two days ago, so I knew it was coming. Yeah. Um, Yeah. All right, so in the overtime today, speaking of Donald Trump, since we did this with Vivek last week, I thought, let's just do this with all the candidates. So we've been running a poll on Twitter for the last few days. What one word would you use best describes your thoughts on Trump running again in 2024? We'll have those polling results in the overtime today, and then we will discuss them for Blaze TV subscribers at blazetv.com slash dace. Again, that is blazetv.com slash dace, and that's where you can go to become a Blaze TV subscriber for just $10 a month right now at blazetv.com slash dace. So we'll do something similar for all the candidates and see kind of what we come up with. Um, There is a biblical worldview note that I want to reference in here. And then I kind of want to go off the grid and call an audible mm. if you guys are okay with it. All right. <clears throat> because there, the, there was this thing called the evangelical study table several years ago. There's an idea that immigration amnesty is a biblical concept. It is not. Now, at first I thought it was too. I mean, it sounded, I guess, kind of Jesus-y when I first heard it. Sounded it. And then I, you know, I started actually listening to what some of these soft-headed evangelical groups were saying. And my first clue should have been, well, a lot of the same people that don't preach the Bible or apply it on anything else suddenly have a very strong biblical take on this. You know, that should have been my that first... That never happens. Yeah, that should have been my first clue here that, uh, yeah, no. But... This was 10 or 15 years ago. I mean, my worldview is still in the formative stages. I'm going to celebrate uh, this September my 20th anniversary as a believer. My conversion was on September 18th, 2003. Then I started studying what the Bible had to say about it. <coughs> Pardon me. Here, here's, here's the reality. In Old Testament Israel... There was a system of showing mercy to what the biblical term is sojourners. Aliens or sojourners. Where do we get the term illegal alien? We got it right out of the Bible. People that are passing through. People that are seeking asylum. One of the things that would be done 
for example, is the the gleanings or the leftovers after you picked through your crops, what you needed, all right, either for um, your family, your clan, your tribe, your business, what was left over if you were wealthy or prosperous, the Lord asked you to leave that behind for those who are less fortunate, particularly aliens and sojourners in the land. They were called aliens as sojourners, not squatters. In fact, if you wanted to stay, how seriously did God take assimilation? You had to convert. You will find no, there is no little Edom in Old Testament Israel. Well, that's just where, that's where the uh, Philistine immigrants uh, came and settled in and, you know, they're still worshiping their gods over there. No, no. Mercy to all. Citizenship to few. Kind of like what you see in the New Testament. For many are called. Mm-hmm. But few are chosen. A narrow gate. Yeah, it's a narrow gate. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But no one can come to me except those except those that the Father who sent me sends to me, and then I will raise them up on the last day. There's that narrow gate thing again. So mercy to all, citizenship to few. You had to convert. You had to obey the Mosaic law and the customs. This idea of we undermine our heritage and legacy to accommodate you, that's not immigration. That's an invasion. That's an invasion. Those are two different things. That's not e pluribus unum. That's a declaration of war. That's what that is. We don't have an immigration policy. What we have is a southern border that is left open to be controlled by Mexican drug cartels and human traffickers so that corporations that write huge checks to both parties can continue to treat people with brown skin as human chattel for cheap labor and call it compassion. That's what we have. None of that's biblical. It's demonic as hell, as a matter of fact. Don't let anybody ever, ever try to tell you otherwise. Take them right to the Bible. It won't back up any of their arguments. What we're doing is not amnesty. We're talking about the removal of national sovereignty. When God established a nation unto himself, he gave them boundary stones. They weren't even allowed to move. So no, nothing about this is compassionate. Nothing about this is biblical. This entire scheme is demonic as is many of the schemes that we are up against. And nobody is suffering more than the people caught in the nexus of it. How many of those parents fleeing places like Honduras lost their daughters to human traffickers and have no idea where they are?
Their sons become drug mules. They have no idea where they are. There is nothing compassionate about this. This is an attempt to capitalize on human suffering. This is anywhere from robber baronism to nihilistic demonic. Nothing we're doing here is any definition of biblical compassion at all. A lot of you sense things like this, which is why there's already so much attention about this next election cycle, so much energy surrounding it. What I want to do for the next few minutes and... Maybe, Aaron, let's take this clip and put it out separately later. I want to I help educate you on the process. I want to I show you what does happen and doesn't happen, what does work and doesn't work, so that you can be a more astute observer of this process. Let's start on the Democratic side. With RFK Jr. running against Joe Biden. Three times since our modern primary system began in 1976. So 1972 was the first year that we kind of had a primary system deciding nominees, not necessarily within smoke-filled rooms. The old conventions of yesteryear 1976 was the first year that this was fully implemented with the Iowa caucuses going first followed by New Hampshire so the process as you know it today really dates back to 1976 three times since 1976 an incumbent president has faced a primary challenger from his own party that got over 30 percent in the New Hampshire primary Reagan in 1976, Kennedy, Ted in 1980, Pat Buchanan in 1992. <clears throat> all three of those presidents that they challenged, all three of those incumbent presidents, Ford in 1976, Jimmy Carter in 1980, George H.W. Bush in 1992, all three of them lost the general election. All three of them did. Now, Democrats are trying to make South Carolina their first in the nation primary this time. They've already announced it. The problem is New Hampshire, by law, has to go first. It's going first. The question will be what Democrats decide to do in terms of accepting their results, nullifying their results. But New Hampshire will go first. It's just a matter of whether it's accepted the results by Democrats or not. RFK Jr., of course, whose family is from Massachusetts, if you know that part of the country, New Hampshire is basically a, is, a, is essentially a suburb of the Boston television market. So a lot of history with the Kennedy family in that part of the country. RFK Jr. has invested heavily in that state. Joe Biden's negatives are on the rise collectively across the country. His approval rating, I think, is down to 37%, I saw. <clears throat> that is something to keep an eye on moving forward. That's the mark. If RFK Jr. can get above 30% in New Hampshire, or if at any point in time there's a poll from a place like WMUR, the big TV station out there, that shows him getting that, I, I could see Democrats just pulling the plug on Biden at that point. 
Enter Gavin Newsom. Well, Steve, they just did an announcement video. It, it, Democrats aren't like you. They like winning. They're, they're not like us. They, they, they try to win. Not get talking points or, you know, tweet about stuff or, you know, endless fundraising mechanisms. They're, they're trying to conquer a country over there. Respect that. They'll kick him to the curb every bit as fast as they resurrected his dementia keister that 72 hours before Super Tuesday four years ago. Democrat, the Democratic Party's like the NFL stands for not for long. If you can't get the job done, they aren't like you. They're not just they're not just in this to watch their favorite cable news host. They're trying to conquer a nation and act accordingly. So there is some history there to keep an eye on. You guys have heard me say many times over the years, stop looking at national polls. They're irrelevant. In October of 2007, Hillary Clinton had a 30-point lead over Barack Obama in the national polls. 90 days later, she lost the Iowa caucuses. They don't matter. They, they just don't matter. Um, the only opinions that matter are in Iowa and New Hampshire. I want to quantify this for you. Since the Iowa caucuses began in 1976, again, that's the dawn of our modern primary calendar, no Republican that didn't finish in the top three in Iowa has ever won the presidency. And only once did someone who finished outside the top three even win the nomination. That was John McCain, in the 2008 Iowa caucuses, he finished fourth behind Fred Thompson by 0.39%. That's the only time. Over that span, the winner of the New Hampshire primary has gone on to be the GOP nominee 10 out of 12 times. That's a pretty good measuring stick, don't you think? Mm. Only once, George W. Bush in 2000. Has a Republican won the presidency without winning the New Hampshire primary? Only once with nearly 50 years of data. Is that a good data set? Yeah. Pretty good. Five times since 1976, the same candidate won them both. Three times it was an incumbent president, so you don't really count that. But five times since 1976, the same candidate won both Iowa and New Hampshire. All five times that person became the GOP nominee. All five of them. This is why I keep telling you the only opinions that matter, for now anyway, are the opinions of people who live in Iowa and New Hampshire or have the ability to directly influence masses of people that do live in Iowa and New Hampshire. That's it. It doesn't matter what anybody else's poll says about anything. So stop looking at national polls. Look only at what is happening on the ground in Iowa, New Hampshire. That is all that matters. What happens there is going to shape what you see the rest of the way. And now you guys will, some of you will say, well, Trump defies these paradigms. No, he doesn't. He actually fulfilled all of the paradigms I just mentioned to you. He won New Hampshire twice, became the GOP nominee both times. I think because Trump... Uh, does things like what's in that video and violates a lot of the quote-unquote <clears throat> norms. What do you think of norms these days, Todd? 
Yeah. I got a middle finger for your norms, yeah. right? Yeah, I don't care about your norms. I, I think because Trump violates a lot of the norms of all the people we hate, there's this notion that therefore there's all this paradigm busting going on. There's not, actually. We're, don't get me wrong. He's violating almost every single norm. But roughly not many paradigms have changed or shifted. He actually fulfills all the data that I just mentioned to you. When should you look at polls of Iowa and New Hampshire? Well, I would, I would say I wouldn't even start looking until the televised debates. Maybe I wouldn't even look until the fall. But then I went and looked at 2016. And according to 538, Donald Trump led 14 of the final 15 polls of Iowa by an average of five and a half points. On the Cruz team, we beat him by 3.3 points, which means it was off. The, the, the polling average heading into Iowa was off by 8.8 points. That's, that's pretty big. So instead, maybe I'd look at what's going on on the ground. I'd look at who are groups that are very influential. You know, I don't know New Hampshire very well, never been there. I know Iowa, obviously, very well. In my career, two times I have gotten involved early with Iowa caucus candidates who were polling at about 3% or less at the time, and then they each went on and set the record for the most Republican votes ever gotten in an Iowa caucus. Mike Huckabee in 08 and Ted Cruz in 2016. During the 2012 campaign, I was on a non-compete after leaving WHO, so I wasn't involved with a candidate until the last week of the, of the race, and I got involved with Newt Gingrich. So my buddy Bob Vanderplatz got involved with a guy named Rick Santorum and the rest, as they say, is history. He got involved with Cruz and, and, uh, and Huckabee too, and Santorum. He's, uh, he's three for three. All right. That's why he gets even more phone calls than I do. So you look at evangelicals. I'd be looking at things like favorability ratings amongst evangelicals in Iowa. Now I wouldn't be looking on May 3rd. What is no, it's May 8th, right? I wouldn't look on May 8th, you know? But after the candidates have been around for a bit, done some retail politicking, you know, shaking some hands, run some commercials, they've been a regular presence in the state, sometime like in October, November, I'd start looking at things like that. Because at a minimum, white evangelicals are going to make up 40% of the Iowa caucus electorate at a minimum. And the evangelicals here are not like the ones in South Carolina. They're actually evangelicals. They do their own homework. They know the name of their pastor. So, not like the ones in South Carolina. They're not roll tide. Would you, would you call them roll tide? Like, not like those. Insert Lindsey Graham joke here. Yes, yeah. Trey Gowdy joke. Tim Scott joke. Nikki Haley joke. No, they're, they're actual evangelicals here. Not just coasting off the fumes of who their ancestors were 100 years ago. They actually know the name of their pastor. They actually go to church. They actually get involved. So... I think it is vitally important to maintain perspective and so that you're going to also see how we're going to, we're not going to, by the way, no now, we are not going to analyze this nearly as much as we have in the past. We're not. But doesn't mean we're not going to analyze it at all. That's still part of our job, right? Yep. We're just not going to do it as much as we've done in the past. When we do analyze it, or you see the things I post on social media, now you know some of the framework that I'm coming from. Because all this data has passed muster for 50 years. This is how the process works. 
Now, you like to say, and I agree, the status quo isn't the status quo, or is the status quo until it isn't anymore, but someone's going to have to violate this status quo for me to change my mind. 50 years of data shows, no one's done it yet. So, you know, until you show me that you can break this status quo, I'm going with it, because I've got 50 years of data on my side. Gentlemen, your thoughts. Well, going back, it's interesting in how this status quo that you took all the way back to 72 and 76, and it... That also happened by accident in many respects. I mean, this Jimmy, it's Jimmy Carter, and all of a sudden, the Georgia peanut farmer governor that nobody had heard about, some, suddenly be, Iowa made him relevant, which is what mm-hmm. Iowa does. Mm-hmm. And that's that sparked a new way of doing things. It, it wasn't because of some grand plan to change things. And I think I bring that only because I think it speaks to your point. I... I don't, th- I don't think we know how things would change. And if some a force of nature as much as Donald Trump is, and how much he did alter the media landscape, things like that in some respects, uh, you, you take to the bank what Steve's talking about. He's talked about how the, he's learned this in sports, his initial instincts when you were younger, about, I don't know, Vegas seems like they're drunk right there. Well, th- these guys usually know what they're doing. They're, they've gotten pretty good at it. You know, Steve, over time, and Steve's, I mean, you're the first one to admit how many, you know, you've learned from mm-hmm. the mistakes. You acknowledge that polling today isn't the same as polling then. So there's not something he will keep from you on this front. He'll tell you everything. In fact, something I need to disclose to you guys, we will do, and we'll make this a regular practice, by the way. We'll do that next hour on the show. Ian Miller is going to join us here at the bottom of this hour. He's got a new book out. We are looking forward to it. We'll tell you about it here in a moment. You know, it's hard to trust virtually anything these days. And the interview we're about to do with Ian Miller certainly won't help you become more trusting, I'm guessing. And that's why make sure you get a hold of our friends over at My Patriot Supply right now. Just have that peace of mind of knowing that should Let's Go Brandon hit the food supply like it's hit virtually everything else. And it's already kind of dinged the food supply a little bit. Remember the days of no baby formula? You know, like last year. Remember the days of, are you kidding me how much eggs are costing? Which is right now, right? Those may be ominous hints of things to come. Let's hope and pray not, but just in case. Make sure you're prepared. Our friends at My Patriot Supply can do that for you with their three-month emergency food kit. Three-month emergency food kit. They're knocking $200 off each kit right now. $200 off each kit. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, even drinks and snacks. The full 2,000-plus calories that you need for up to 90 days. Stays good for over 20 years with proper storage. Know that you are ready just in case when you go to MyPatriotSupply.com. Shipping is free, too, by the way. Free shipping as well. MyPatriotSupply.com. Again, that's MyPatriotSupply.com. We welcome in an old friend of the show, Ian Miller, who did some of the finest work during the rain or the peak rain, I should say, of COVID Stan. And he has a brand new book coming out tomorrow. It is called The Illusion of Control, COVID-19 and the Collapse of Expertise. And Ian, it's good to have you back on the show, brother. How you been? 
I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Ian, it's been a minute. So give our audience, remind them a little bit of your background and how you got involved into the into the COVID stand resistance here, you, how you joined the Rebel Alliance. Right. Well, I, you know, I, there were obviously a lot of people that had kind of early on were very skeptical of, of what was happening with mandates and closures and lockdowns. And uh, I kind of rode that wave, I guess, a little bit where I was I wasn't sure what to think here. And I was in Southern California, which is obviously kind of ground zero for a lot of these measures and mm-hmm. uh, was curious myself whether or not it was working. And so, you know, thankfully, these these jurisdictions, the U.S. and local jurisdictions like L.A. were making their data public. And so I went and looked at it myself and said, well, you know, if we're doing all these mandates, is it working when we should be able to tell? Uh, and very clearly the answer was no, it's not working because the results are the same everywhere you look, dependent, no, no, there's no difference to based on the on the mandates or the policies they have. So that kind of spiraled from there where I started doing it for, for everywhere across the country, across the world really, and uh, showing, you know, we did these mass mandates we, and, and what happened afterwards, I guess. And it's, it's kind of grown from there to, to point out what has happened and what, what we did, you know, how it worked or how it didn't work. Which brings us to your follow-up book, Out Tomorrow, that takes a more comprehensive look at the aftermath of all of these failed policies, all of these deceptions or misinformations that they then were accusing us of doing when we were pointing out their own, right? What, let's, start, let, let's start back to front here. What is really the long-term ramification of it? When I, when I hear the collapse of expertise... Just as I thought COVID wasn't an outlier, but a harvest that it showed how much of the country was ready to be led, to be uh, programmed, uh, to just hand over their own personal sovereignty. You know, we used to have a the, the old culture war between the left and the right. The left said, hey, as long as another party consents, I can do anything with my personal sovereignty I want. And the right said, no, nah, there might be another higher authority over your a conscience than just another a consenting adult, right? But the, the culture war argument in this country for the last 40 years was over how far does my personal autonomy extend? In the new culture war, we're debating whether you have any personal autonomy at all. And, I, and, and so what I think is all the same states and all the same locations within those states that already agreed with this agree even more. And all the same states and all the same locations within those states that are completely ready to be mind-numbed zombies and under total control of the state are ready for that all the more. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I do agree with that. And, and that was one of the points with the book was to point out that uh, these people that are giving over their autonomy to an expert class, uh, those expert class, the expert class doesn't deserve it. They haven't earned it. And they showed that over the last couple of years by getting virtually every major question wrong. Um, you know, I do think that there are some people that have woken up that that was, did trust institutions like the CDC or, you know, were kind of like would generically assume that Dr. Fauci was a competent individual and knew what he was talking about mm-hmm. uh, that have now realized that that was wrong and that that wasn't accurate. But there are still a, a huge number of people who haven't learned the lessons from what we've learned over the last couple of years that didn't see what, you know, how much control they took over our lives and how many mandates and unimaginable things that we would have thought were completely impossible just a few years ago that they took advantage of. Um, so that was kind of the point to, to show what, you know, it's not just masks, it's other things like vaccine mandates and vaccine passports and a lot of stuff that they tried that, uh, you know, entry restrictions that we could never have imagined. Um, and to point out, they got all this stuff wrong Uh, They don't deserve your trust and they don't deserve to have control over anybody's individual autonomy. How many persuaded you live in California? I live in Iowa. 
we were one of the few states in the union that did not have a stay-at-home order. We did have a, a state health department, though, that aggressively uh, promoted the poison poke, even up until just recently, as a matter of fact. Um, but we have a state that going into COVID had a very strong, um, you know, my my assistant over here, Todd, is a part of this, you know, subculture. We had a very strong vax skeptical community, kind of a natural health community in Iowa. You'd have a pretty strong community along those lines, I would guess, in a state like California as well. Um, and so within these two states, given that, this is probably a question each of us can answer. How many people do you think are persuadable? Uh, you know, I actually think it's probably higher than we think it is. The problem is that they're never given access to the information. Um, I think there's a lot of people that are, you know, kind of on the fence or didn't know what to think or, you know, kind of started to question things after they were told for the 50th time. Well, if you listen to us, if you do this, mm-hmm. if you just get vaccinated and get just get boosted, you're not going to get COVID. You're not going to get sick. And then they got vaccinated and they got boosted and they got COVID and got sick. You know, and I think that there were a lot of people that kind of had that happen to them and and did lose faith in in the experts but they don't have a comprehensive guide to show them oh yeah well they really did get all this stuff wrong and they really didn't know what they were talking about and they kind of did repeat the same mistakes over and over again and what does that tell us about them uh so i you know that's that's one of the goal and obviously you've done an incredible job with that and uh you know that's the goal with my book as well is to try to try to give those people if they can get a chance to see the book uh an opportunity to look at it and say wow you know this this really does make this case that they were they didn't know what they were doing and they don't deserve to have that kind of blind faith that I was previously giving them. Um, that said, there are, you know, I think there's 30, 40 percent of the population that's just never going to be reachable. But I, I think that 50 to 60 percent of people would be open to hearing the information if they're allowed to see it. As you were compiling this book, what surprised you the most? Well, there was one thing I found that that was pretty stunning to me, and and you know it's one of those questions. And when I when I did the last book, but which was all about masks, and uh, it was a question I was asked a lot. You know, why do we think all of these experts flip flopped early on in the pandemic? You know, what changed with the CDC and Fauci that went from masks don't work, you don't need to wear them, to this is the most important thing we could do. If everybody just wore masks, we could stop the pandemic instantly. Um, and there was one thing that kind of came out during during research for the book, and uh, you know, just gone being on Twitter as well that. Uh, you know, there was a New York Times columnist, Zainab Tufekin, I apologize if I mangled her name, but she was she was kind of early on was instrumental in writing these columns in the, in the New York Times saying we all should be wearing masks and without really any evidence to support it. But that was the case she was making. And she was really heavily criticizing the CDC because she thought, oh, you know, countries in Asia were doing very well because of their mask mandates. And the CDC was listening to her. And that was the craziest thing to me was the CDC changed, a, you know, a life altering policy like this or guidance like this based off of a New York Times column. Like that was their well, one of their biggest you know, motivating factors to change this longstanding policy. that was based off of years, decades of research showing masks don't work. And they, they changed it all based off of a New York Times column. Um, and, you know, there's a statement to the Times from a CDC, you know, uh, I think it was uh, on the record, actually, a CDC official saying, we were, you know, that was kind of the last straw that pushed us to do this. That was stunning to me. And that, that speaks to a, an incredibly la- uh, poor process that they have over there. And, uh, but it, honestly, it's fitting given how, how poorly they handled everything else around COVID too. Did the expertise collapse over the opportunity to implement a sinister political agenda? Or 
just because these institutions are captured by the very entities they're supposed to be regulating? Yeah, I think it's probably a mixture of both. At least that's my view. And I think that there's a lot of people that saw this as an opportunity. Uh, I mean, Gavin Newsom was out there saying it. He was saying, you know, we would view this as an opportunity to kind of reshape how we govern and how we how we do things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think there was a, there's a lot of public health people that were very public and saying, you know, we need to be reshaping our society around equity and et cetera, et cetera. And you saw that with the CDC saying, you know, when when the vaccines came out and, and they were saying it's you know, the life saving thing, it's 100 percent effective. Their priority wasn't to get it to older people who were who would have been most at risk and would have benefited from it, according to them, you know, most most significantly. It was to give it to teachers and prioritize it by, you know, eth- racial or ethnic backgrounds and things like that. Now, I mean, that's that's ridiculous. It's, it's an insane thing to say, but that's what public health has kind of become over the years. We just didn't know it. You know, it was never, nobody cared. Nobody knew what the CDC thought about much of anything, but now it'd be kind of, they took it as an opportunity to say, we want to reshape society in this way. Uh, but that at the same time, you know, I think that they are, they are captured that, you know, there's a lot of, it, it, like a lot of things in business, right? There's, there's, they move back and forth between, you know, look at Scott Gottlieb, right? He's was, is a Pfizer board member former FDA commissioner, and then he's out there on the news promoting a product that he directly benefits from. I mean, how's, how's, how's that acceptable? So it's probably a mixture of both. Uh, and, you know, I think it's also just some institutional incompetence as well. And, and that's probably a, an underrated aspect of all of it. Which brings me to an uncomfortable question, not that the rest of them gave you warm fuzzies. We just had an election and almost all the people that did this to us were reelected in both parties. Now, prior to this election, I still thought it was we there were opportunities to move the electorate. I'm in a state where in the last decade we have worked very hard to take it from a state that sent Tom Harkin's uh, mailbox to the US Senate for 30 years and launched Barack Obama's presidential campaign to a state that, you know, right now I would argue is redder than Texas. So I actually thought that we could still actually accomplish great things. You're a native Californian. Clearly, you've given up on that, all right, from an election standpoint. Help me to give up on it, too, um, because this last election basically showed me people used to be able to count on people voting against those who caused them pain. We had one of the most incumbent-friendly elections in modern times last year after more the american people felt more pain collectively in the years leading up to that election than they had in in at least a generation so help me from a guy who lives in a state that is just you know permanently screwed help me to understand what that's like because i'm now beginning to to embrace it right i i was on your side and i agree with that and i think one of the problems that happened is uh things became even more entrenched and i think i i kind of underestimated just how partisan a lot of people are you know they like to pretend that they're independent and they're in the middle but at the end of the day there's a lot of people who just you know see democrat and they tick the box of democrat and and that's unfortunately it's really hard to reach those people because they don't ever see the information that we're trying to present to them um and i think a lot of them would agree with it and, and did understand that they were hurt but they're just not aware of how bad it was and, and the consequence the fallout, the consequences. And, um, you know, and I also think that a lot of people over the last couple of years just left and moved from places like California. So if you look at the map on the New York Times Act and 2022 uh, election results, basically everyone in California moved to the right. 
but it's just not enough because a lot of the people that really disagreed with what what Gavin Newsom did and and wanted the recall or whatever, they just moved, you know, they moved to Florida, they moved to Texas, Mm -hmm. they moved to Nevada, whatever it is. And, and so you have these areas that like Florida is now, you know, a red state, right? You know, DeSantis won Florida by more than Newsom won California. Um, To me, part of that is that a lot of people who disagree with what the lockdowns and mandates represented moved to Florida uh, for that reason. And so I think, you know, it's kind of an unfortunate consequence that I think we did have a lot more people on our side than we realized. And there were a lot of people who were one issue voters were never doing this again, but they kind of moved to areas that already were supportive of that perspective. They voted before Uh, the election, essentially, is what you're saying. Uh, Pardon me, they voted before the election is what you're saying. Okay. Okay. Yep. Again, name of the book comes out tomorrow. This guy's done a lot of great work the last couple of years. Illusion of Control, COVID-19 and the Collapse of Expertise. Ian Miller, author of Unmasked. And that was a successful book. Wish you similar success with this one as well, Ian. Thank you for all the work you've you've done and keep doing, brother. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, gentlemen, let's get some thoughts on that conversation. What do you think? Well, I was thinking a lot about what you were talking about on immigration while that was going on. In both cases, these so-called experts are trying to introduce... I mean, this we're way past, you know, accident, fog of war. You know, they, they count on introducing chaos into a system so that the alternative... The suspension of normal rules can come in and they can go. We, we, he mentioned that they, they've tried to do this with um, uh, race relations. They tried to do this on gender. You create as much net, many nut jobs as possible. So it's just it's not a republic because you can't keep it anymore and they don't want to keep it. So the more fronts they do this kind of thing on the so-called. Episode, I mean, I love the title, but it's not so much as a collapse as it is a design. Hmm. Aaron, yeah, say you? I mean, we've talked about Cloward Piven of uh, of healthcare in specific, in particular, the Cloward Pivoting of of healthcare, which is essentially a, a Marxist plan to overload the healthcare system, to collapse it, to rebuild something uh, mm-hmm. else in its place. They do this on virtually every cultural hot button pressure point. They 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 try this uh, everywhere. Essentially, overload, overload, overload. Eventually, it'll collapse, and then they can build something back uh, with the power that they enjoy in its place. Uh, in particular, uh, with um, with the expert class, yeah, it, whether it was by design or whether it was by hubris, what, what have you, the same thing is happening here. Now, the only experts that we have available are ones that they define and they approve, and that's all by design. So, like you like to say, Todd, the lie is the point? Mm-hmm. What I hear you guys saying is the collapse is the point. Yes. Yes. They're not. They're certainly not trying to make America great again. They hate America. Other than the fact that it's these, this landmass, that's it. They just happen to be living here. And we talked about this before COVID came. We were all talking in various ways about, is are we in the middle of a civil war right now? How much of this is by design? COVID was just a verification of inklings that we had had for a long time and heck your entire radio career you've been pointing out we're on the road to to this level of perdition at the very least if covid had happened when obama was president every red state would have been iowa or florida or georgia or the dakotas every one of them would have yes just just based on, on partisan politics alone would have done that 
instead we got the worst of both worlds. Mm. There were only a handful of states and everything else fell right in line and imposed this tyranny on their people. Yes. Hour two is next. All right, back with Hour 2 live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre, Totters, and all of you. Let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox, which you can access by emailing us, Steve at SteveDace.com. Steve at SteveDace.com. Like us on Facebook, MeWe, and Gab. Follow me at Steve Dace Show on Twitter, Getter, Instagram, and TikTok. And then you can find me as well on Truth Social at Real Steve Dace there. And again, the last name is D-E-A-C-E. If you are a podcast listener, thank you so very much. If you've yet to do this, please hit subscribe or follow. Leave us a five-star review. Thank you to all of you that have done those things for us already and in the future. If you've got a question that you would like to be considered for an upcoming Ask Me Anything, put your question within your brand new five-star review, and you'll go to the front of the line for consideration by Todd. Thank you to all of you that have given us those five-star reviews and follows and subscriptions already. We appreciate each and every one. We also appreciate our friends over at Freedom Project Academy because they are attempting to do something about the mass government indoctrination going on within Satan's youth ministry, otherwise known as the government schools. They have perfected the art of online learning, live on-demand homeschool courses K through 12 at Freedom Project Academy built on Judeo-Christian values and a classical curriculum. The, the point of this experience is for your child to master important subject matter, not be taught to be mastered, uh, how to think, not what to think. Uh, I saw firsthand how well they do. My son Noah was enrolled in this for a couple of years. Plus, I know some of the people involved in founding this institution as well, which is why I can recommend it to you. If you sign up today, save 10% off your tuition when you go to Freedom for School, F-O-R, Freedom for F-O-R, freedomforschool.com, 10% off your tuition for the next semester today at freedomforschool.com. Or you're thinking, you know what, can I at least check it out? You bet. Get the free information packet today as well over at freedomforschool.com. All right, before we get to Ask Me Anything, I, I think it is very important and I've always tried to do this, kind of the mantra on our show is typically, as long as it doesn't violate a third-party confidence, I'll pretty much disclose any, just about anything else. I think it is vitally important that everybody hear and know what, what biases, prejudices I may have in a given situation, because I have them, and we all have them. There's only been one objective person in all of humanity. We hung him on a tray. Everyone else is subjective to some degree. Everyone else, that's the human condition. We can't help but impose our own perspectives on things. And so I think it's important that you know, now that the Florida legislative session is done, literally any day now, DeSantis will get into the race and that will likely complete the field unless Tucker Carlson stuns us. But I'd be totally in for Tucker Carlson running for president. Thoughts on that really quick? I'll allow it. Yeah, I'd be totally in on that. Just... The prospect of him just up on the stage, 
with taking a crowbar to various Overton windows and demanding everybody else respond in kind, I'd, I'd be all for that. But barring something like that, when DeSantis gets into the race, the field will be complete. And then this thing will get going. It's been going in earnest, but now it will get going, you know, full bore from that time forward. So I think it's important that you guys know um, anything that may involve the conflict of interest with me so that you can factor that in, you know, handicap my analysis, build that in those filters accordingly so that you can take the most objective view of it you possibly can. So I'm going to do that right now. And then if anything changes, I'll do it again if and when something changes. I have never met Nikki Haley. I have never met Tim Scott. I've never met Mike Pence, but I do consider him to be one of the worst moral cowards of this era. For reasons I've articulated and itemized how many times in recent years. I once knew Donald Trump. I've not had a serious conversation with him, however, since July of 2015. So that's nearly eight years ago. I did know several people that worked in his administration. I met Ron DeSantis once briefly at a CPAC a decade ago at a hallway in a CPAC. At, in a hallway at a CPAC. Flopped my prepositions there. In a hallway at a CPAC a decade ago. Uh, he did call me a few weeks ago when I got out of the hospital the first time to wish me well. I was supposed to have a meeting with him in March. I think I even disclosed that at the time that I was going to. But we were unable to have that meeting. I thought they meant for it to be on the Thursday of that week. They thought it was a Friday. That's the Friday I had to fly to Michigan for the Michigan sneak peek of Nefarious. So I, I couldn't make that meeting. Um, I was paid $500 for two hours of my time by Vivek Ramaswamy to MC his first town hall in Iowa back in January. I didn't ask for that. They offered for coming out in the cold. I enjoyed myself. I thought his answers were very thoughtful, which is why I've been disappointed with some of the things he has said the last couple of weeks. Um, I like Kathy Barnett, the former Pennsylvania Senate candidate that Trump screwed over, um, and she is advising him. I met Larry Elder once briefly when we were both working for Salem, um, I, but I don't know him very well. I have interviewed him several times over the years in my career for various books and appearances, things of that nature. So that's, that's the extent of my background with the current GOP presidential primary field, which will likely be finalized any day now when DeSantis gets into the race. I think it's important for you guys to get that kind of transparency and disclosure. That's why I'm giving it to you. Any thoughts on that before we move on? Nonetheless, you will be a shill yep. for all of them by the end of the day. So my my wife pointed out that when I posted this on Twitter over the weekend, there were people accusing me of being both a Trump and DeSantis shill is, in yes. the comments to this tweet. Yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I, I can't do anything about that. Um, and, you know, um, I, don't even know how many, I don't even know how many of those people are real. You know, but you guys are, and I think you deserve to know what we bring to the table. And so that's why I'm going to practice that level of disclosure. And I've always tried to do that in the past. Like you guys knew if you were on this show eight years ago, I was working for the Cruz campaign from August on. I didn't do anything to hide that at all. You know, so I just think everybody ought to know there are people 
around here in this business who are working for super PACs or are paid stenographers of of factions or organizations or candidates that they don't disclose it. And I think that you deserve that. And so that's why I'm going to make my own example here and disclose those things for you. All right, let's get to ask me anything. Facebook followers, you are up this week. Todd, you have selected the questions. Do we have a good crop today? It's a lot of spiritual angst out there, my friend. Is there? Yes, there is. Well, it's not like there's no reason to have some of that right about now. All right. So Todd has selected the questions. I've not seen any of them. Not a single one. You selected them, handed them over to Aaron. Let's roll. We will begin with Cindy Fisher Sabika, who says, after having seen two interviews you had with Mark Driscoll, I'm curious about your support of him and your thoughts on the fall of Mars Hill. I haven't heard any updates of what happened after the fall, but heard you mention his repentance. I'm hopeful. Update. I listened to the Roy's Report podcasts one and two on Mark Driscoll, and it sure doesn't seem like he's repented. I will say that this is there were multiple of these, and this was the least harsh one. And one of them was actually a five star reviewer who mm-hmm. loves our show, but they just said um, they are confused about why he's been elevated. I'm paraphrasing why he's been elevated by us in any fashion. They're confused why he was on the show based on what they regard as your high level of usual discernment. Those are all fair questions. Roy, I don't know the name of the, I'm not familiar. Julie Roy's, you don't don't know I've never heard that name in my life. I'm sorry. I'm sure she's great. Don't know who that is. Okay. I'm not sure she's great. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. You know, that's a world I don't inhabit. I apologize. But, um, we have discussed this in the past. It came up right away, actually. So I'll reiterate what I said at the time. Mark Driscoll lost an entire church network, a church, his reputation, relationships, public standing, book deals. For whatever happened there. And I don't, I mean, if it was something along the lines of heresy, sexual misconduct, I don't believe any of those kinds of allegations were ever made. Aaron, am I wrong about that? I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah. If, if, if they were, tell me. I mean, but I've never heard anything along those lines. Um, how much more would you like him to suffer? I'm asking. I mean, how, how much more would you like him to suffer? Do you know what is the appropriate amount of suffering? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm the Catholic. I honestly have no idea what he got in trouble for in the first place. I know there was the premier book sale thing the, where they buy blocks of books. And my literary agent works with premier authors. They actually offered that to me years ago. I just didn't have the money to execute it. This has been going on on the right in within Christian publishing for years. I think there was a, a plagiarism thing. Um, there was stuff involving... Uh, being mean and a tyrant and how he uh, ran the church, but nobody alleged any form of sexual misconduct. Nobody alleged any form of heresy. So, I mean, he paid a stiff price for whatever happened there, quite a bit. And many of the people that were in the network that, um, that confronted him 
for how he behaved have gone woke or rainbow. Many of the churches have. And he has remained faithful to the gospel. I mean, I, I don't, I, what, 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 what repentance would you like? What repentance does he owe you? And to your point, amongst the three that I'm thinking of that road, including the one everybody saw, it, they, they, were, they weren't, um, they all wrote tight emails, so they, maybe they have answers, but none of them did bring up a specific charge. It just seems to them that there's this large fog that should have us asking questions, but I did not see a specific charge. So I, Christianity Today... Which, you guys, I wouldn't wipe my ass with Christianity Today. Christianity Today, that's why I'm moving my eyes side to side, for those of you listening. Christianity Today, um, I can't remember if it was a year or two years, three years ago, uh, came out with a podcast series uh, examining the downfall of, of Mars Hill. Julie Royce is, a, is an independent journalist, and I say I don't know if she's great because she has uncovered people like James McDonald and his abuses in his church, financial and, and otherwise, and has publicized those. I'm not sure if she is an accuser trying to sow discord among the brethren or if she's a prophet trying to bring accountability among the brethren. I do have some pause, though, that she has a national platform to bring to light things that really should be handled within churches. That's hmm. my biggest pause with her. So that's a little bit about Julie Royce. She used to work for Moody. She uncovered some corrupt, alleged corruption within Moody as well. She's now independent. She's on her own. At last, last time. Okay. Anyway, All right. that's the first time I've heard the name Mark in Driscoll, my life. I've only heard things secondhand. The things I have heard from people who have listened to the podcast have not been, have not exactly been glowing. He was in a position, it just seems like his spiritual giftedness was not in the administrative part of church, and that went wrong. Two things can be true at the same time. Mm -hmm. He may have been a tyrant. He may have allowed and not given himself, uh, surrounded himself with enough accountability within Mars Hill. Uh, he could also be faithful to the gospel to this day. Those things can be too, true at the same time. Absolutely. I'm still on the fence about him. Okay. But I'm not going to just, what's the right word that I'm looking for? Um, I, I'm not just going to sentence him to uh, just write him off. But I'm not also just going to glom on to everything he says either. Okay? You can live kind of in between that and just watch. You don't, you don't have to, uh, you don't have to, um, what's, what's the word, the other word for a judge um, that I'm trying to think of right now? I'm not, I don't want to say judge him because judging is, is fine, but I'm not just going to completely write him off. Condemn, that's the word I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to completely condemn him. I'm not going to completely um, condone him either at this point. I'll close with this. I've spent some time with him publicly and privately. My wife and I both have, by the way. And um, ultimately, whatever transpired there, he already faced accountability for that. And instead of running away from the gospel, he ran even closer to it. And I haven't heard anything. And even my private conversations with him that gave me pause. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been a part of those conversations. So I, I guess I just don't know what else you want. I mean, I, you know, Charles Stanley got divorced, didn't he? 
Did he? I did not. I believe know that. he did. Yeah, I think Charles Stanley got divorced. I'll look that up. Actually, he just passed away a couple of weeks that, ago. That's why I thought of it. Yeah. yeah, but I I could have sworn that he did. Let me look it up because I thought that. was And I just true. mentioned the name James McDonald as well as kind of the inverse of what you're talking about. Maybe. Yeah, Charles Stanley got divorced I mean, after 40 years of marriage. He he was I think arrested in California recently of Harvest Bible Chapel or Church in Chicago. He was arrested recently. Um, in the aftermath of all of these alleged um, incidents in his own church and financial abuse in his own church, uh, it's pretty clear that that guy, I, at least for the time being, has not remained faithful. Mm-hmm. So. And yeah, I could be wrong, you know. I'm, I'm, you know, but I'm not aware of a glut on pastors that are still faithful to the gospel in America right now. So. I'm going to, I'm going to give, and notice the timing here. I mean, we didn't have Mark on like a week after all that stuff went down at Mars Hill. How many years ago was that now? Yeah, it's been several. It's been several. He has been in the wilderness and, and paid a steep price for what happened there. You know? So now you, you look at how a man responds to that and did he walk away or did he stay on the narrow road? I think it's pretty obvious he stayed on the narrow road. So in my view, at that point, mercy triumphs over judgment. Next, we go to Bill Way. Glenn has been warning of the upcoming AI, artificial intelligence. He has said that it could lead to the end of humanity. As believers, is this something we should really worry about? Yes. But but I maintain that these things are, this is a symptom, not a disease. This, this, is a, this happens to a society where 25-year-old men are more likely to be living at home with a parent than in another home with a wife and a kid. This happens in a society where you have the lowest birth and marriage rates you've ever had before. This happens in a society that has, in, lar- in, in, in most of its largest urban population sectors, signed up for slavery just of a technocratic form with a few modern conveniences and accoutrements and indulgences thrown in. Meaning that if we were in the midst of a revival, if we were in the midst of a great awakening, there would be no interest or market in this. And people would see right away what it was. Anti-human. And I, I don't believe, and I'm increasingly thinking this about a lot of things these days, I don't believe you can get spiritually unregenerate people to say no to things like this. Even Elon Musk. He's not a fan of the bias of chat. GP, what does he want to do? Form his own, right? Yeah. We just had that conversation two weeks ago. I I don't believe, meaning that this is a fruit of the spirit of the age. It is not the impetus or the cause for the spirit of the age in and of itself. Let me let me give you an example of what I mean in a in a in a in a in another context that I think might make my point better than I'm making it right now. I remember years ago. When I first speak, I, I used to listen to Dr. Laura and a bunch of talk shows, you know, work in the mailroom all day long. 
Uh, and I used to listen to all these talk shows just all day here on the talk stations in town. And I found her very, very compelling. But it fit into my, you know, I've, I've, I've been a right winger a lot longer than I've been a Christian. So it fit into my rugged individualism. I remember the first time I heard in church that the Lord helps those who helps themselves is not in the Bible. And I thought that that was heresy coming from the pulpit. I was convinced it was. So in, in, in my flesh as a right winger, this appealed her, her approach and paradigm appealed to me greatly. Just yell at people on the radio until they stop doing stupid stuff and hurting themselves, right? I mean, I was just, we all need a life coach. That's as good as any, all right? And then I remembered the first time I tried to listen to her after I became a believer. And a woman called in, and her baby daddy was asleep. He's a drug dealer. She's got three kids from three different baby daddies. This is the third. She doesn't know where the other two baby daddies are. And she calls in, and she's just completely lost. And doesn't know what to do. And for the first time I hear Dr. Laura basically yelling at her, hey, get out of there. Get out of that destructive relationship. And for the first time in my spirit, I was not comfortable with this conversation. In fact, I, I, I cringed at it. This is actually the last time I ever listened to a radio show, by the way. And it took me a minute to realize why that was. And if, it, if, I, and if I didn't have the pilot light lit, if it was just my own flesh I was listening to, my own instincts, my own intellect, and nothing, nothing of the spirit was alive in me, I wouldn't have picked up on this. Would have made perfect sense. Stop doing stupid stuff, right? This woman is broken. How, how broken do you have to be to be on your third baby daddy and the third one's a drug dealer, meaning you're, you're devolving all, each one you go to is worse than the previous one. This woman's broken. She doesn't have the power within her on her own to get out. She was reaching out for help, guidance. She's going to need a power beyond herself to get out of that situation. She doesn't know any better. Better, better relationship with her dad wasn't great. Maybe not a single man has just loved her unconditionally and for anything other than a means to an end of sexual gratification. That, those are the things that happen that get you into those situations. She is broken spiritually. That's why she's making stupid decisions morally. The stupid moral decisions aren't tainting her spiritually. She's dead spiritually or broken spiritually. And that's why she's making stupid moral decisions. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Things like AI happen to societies that are dead spiritually. Or broken spiritually. Or yes, a little of both. This is the stuff of Romans 1. We worship the created rather than the creator. AI would be the created by us. Because we love to worship nothing more than ourselves. We made this 
in our image. Just call it Babel. You couldn't get people to stop wearing masks and walk out of their home in the summertime in 2020. We're going to go to those same people and say, don't turn your life over to an algorithm. After they turn their lives over to Anthony Fauci. Good luck with that. The answer to something like that, because this is what we'll do in our flesh, what Elon Musk wants to do. We'll just come up with a better, a better AI, a more objective one. Objective based on what? Who among us is objective enough to, to, to program such, such a monstrosity? Do you know anyone objective enough? Who, who's your objectivity dream team over there, Todd? You're like, you know what? Let's get these three guys in the room and they'll construct the perfect beast. Let them do it. Have any names off the top of your head? Wasn't Ian Miller just talking about the collapse of expertise? The collapse of expertise, yes. So I agree it is very dangerous, but I I don't believe it's the cause of anything. I think it is the symptom of everything, actually. Next question. This is from Kelly Rivers. Looking back on these situations, have you changed your mind on any of them? Herschel Walker's Senate run because of his major character issues. I got to be honest, man, and I shouldn't say that because it makes it sound like what I said before was lying. I haven't paid much attention to Herschel Walker since three minutes after the Georgia race got called. So if anything new or anything has come up, I, I don't know. So forgive me. I can't comment on that one. Calling Will Smith's slap a biblical moment. Um, yeah. I, I, did we actually use that term? I, I'm guessing we did. I, I, if someone's quoting me on it. I recall that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't remember all of the context. I just found all three of these together. It was a, I wanted to see how you reacted well, to all three uh, well, of these. Well, I still, I will still maintain putting a dude on his ass for disrespecting your wife is perfectly within the purview of dudedom. So I guess I'll say yes on the basis of Will Smith undermining his own message, not on the basis of the act in and of itself. That's a good way to put it. Three, not addressing on-air Ted Cruz's vacation to Cancun while Texans were freezing and dying in a state emergency. Do we have any evidence that Ted himself was taking that vacation? I don't know. I'm asking, do we? Did anybody produce any evidence at the time that he himself was going on that vacation? I seem to remember a picture of him in the airport. I think he claimed that it was for the wife and the daughters to yeah, get away. That's, what, that's, I think, what the claim was. Yeah. I mean, does anybody have anything to counter that claim? I mean, he could be lying. Wouldn't be the first politician to do that. But I'd want to know. And what an obscure thing. I get the, the I other know, two I understand. Three, but man. Yeah, all three of these that, are that, kind that, of. That, I get the other two. That, that's just an obscure. Trust me, I've said way dumber things than whatever the hell I did, said or didn't say about that to reset. I mean, that's been stuck in your craw this entire time. If Man. I don't think I know how you're going to react, I, I had to just see how you're going to react to these three brought together. I, I, I don't imagine why these are the three issues that this person's been mulling, but they've been mulling clearly. Yeah. I, I, props to you for carrying a grudge on that one that long. I thought I could be petty and spiteful, but tip of the cap. 
And number four, why do you like Cadbury mini eggnogs? <laughs> uh, Rob Corser is next. Where do you think Tucker could be more powerful force for goods in media or running for office? Media, hands, hands down, no question. Not even debatable. Dustin Medicus. Two questions. These are, neither of these are really for Steve. One, is Aaron a Catholic or a Protestant? <laughs> why come you know got a tattoo, bro? <laughs> Two, what is Todd's view on justification by faith alone? Aaron, you want to go first? I was just amazed that we're... How long has this person been watching? And yeah. Then... Yeah, am I a Catholic or Protestant? To me, is it... Maybe I just, maybe I'm too sensitive. I am a millennial after all, if I can even say the name of my generation. Did I take this wrong that this was like a why come you don't get, got a tattoo question? I think might be new. Might, might just be new. Be I am genuinely, I, genuinely I am an evangelical. I'm a member at a, at a, at a Baptist and a regular Baptist church here in town. We, we literally gained like 20 spots in the podcast ratings after my appearance on Tim Pool. And a lot of those are people who, because I've heard from a lot of them. Who spiritually True. are completely True. seeking? Apologies, so Dustin. They, that could they could be these are maybe things they don't know. Apologies, Dustin. You know? If that okay. is the case, okay. I'm just so jaded and, and cynical, which is all right. You, you, dude, if you want a gotcha question, let me reframe it. Todd, go ahead and tell us why Romans one seventeen is wrong. Go ahead. Isn't that essentially what he's saying? Justification by faith. Anyway, go ahead. I'm I'm not going to corner you like that. You can answer his question. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, I'm not I'm not cornered. I asked the question. If I. Uh, uh, I, I doubt in the way you're asking me, I do, but do I believe in justification uh, uh, by faith? Absolutely. Uh, the creed uh, that I recite every Sunday uh, says as much. We just have differing versions, I'd imagine, of what encompasses the faith. And therefore, when you put an alone on it, um, I think that's where we get into the argument. I will come back. More of your questions when we come back. Stay tuned. If you are dealing with consistent pain of a physical variety, there's usually two reasons why. One is clinical and the other is chronic. Clinical is, you know, my wife's got bone spurs. She's got to go in, get her knee cleaned up, get rid of that pain. But then afterwards, she's got to deal with the chronic pain. And that's going to be from all that arthritis uh, that she's got in her knee. And if that's you... That's from inflammation in your joints. That's where relief factor comes in drug-free, but it was created by physicians who can prescribe drugs. And uh, this formula has worked so well over the years, they have found 70% of the people who try the three-week quick start for just 20 bucks end up sticking around long-term because of the results they see in three weeks or less. What do you have to lose? If you've tried everything else for chronic pain, what do you have to lose for 20 bucks for three weeks to see if you don't see a difference in the level of chronic pain that you're fighting in your body? Go to relieffactor.com, relieffactor.com, or you can call them at 800-4, the number 4, 800-4-RELIEF. That's 800-4-RELIEF or head to relieffactor.com. Have you ever seen the TV series Rabbit Hole, Steve? No, I have not. Okay, we'll skip that then. Going to Jim Heron. Are the principles of our founding sound or do we need to go beyond them? Is there anything redeemable from the Enlightenment period? The principles are sound. Um, you have to understand that the Constitution is not the principles of our founding. 
It's a social compact that enumerates how the entities of government will behave with one another and what government by the consent of the governed means as a result of acknowledging and instilling those principles. Meaning, did they get together when they declared independence in 1776, correct? Yeah. Years went by. Seven, eight more years of Revolutionary War. Did they form a constitution right away? No. No. They're in a war. And those principles are now being fought for on the battlefield, right? Yes. The principles that are being articulated in the Declaration of Independence, those are the principles of our founding. They are in the midst of being fought for. It was only once those principles won the day in the field of battle that they then enumerated them, itemized them, quantified them in a social compact known as the Constitution. And that didn't even happen right away. We left along with the Articles of Confederation. Yes, and there was a stringent battle over even that. Two camps, Federalist and Anti-Federalist, and the Anti-Federalist won some semblance of the argument. That's how you ended up with the Bill of Rights, for example. I mean, the Constitution is not wholly writ. Literally, one of the, the first thing the people that wrote it after they ratified it did was amend it ten times. That's what the Bill of Rights is. I argue that the social compact in America is dead. We are at war, a different kind of war. It's a cold civil war. It's a cultural war. But do not, do not quote constitutional provisos to men with guns or with demonic allegiances. Soulless zealotry. They don't care. That's what we should have done. Just run out in the, this would have been over a lot quicker. If we just would have stood up in, in the, in, at Valley Forge and screamed out to the Redcoats, God is no respecter of persons. And our rights come from God and not government. And the Redcoats would have been like, what a fascinating philosophical proposition. You may have a point. We, we leave now, we can make it home by spring. Oh, they could have just done that the entire time? These were actually Englishmen. <laughs> the Redcoats and the American Colonials had far more in common with one, one another than Texas, Florida, and Californians do. Okay? Far more in common with one another than what Iowans do with Chicagoites or Chicagoans. Far more in common. Far more. So here's what it comes down to. If we both agree that the Constitution is the law of the land, then I'm happy to abide by it. That's a social compact, correct? Yes. Yeah. If we don't, then I'm not. You don't get to restrain me with a standard that you've abandoned. Doesn't mean I have no standard. I'm a Christian. I still have to abide by the laws of nature and nature's God. Is the Constitution the laws of nature and nature's God? No. No, it's just a document humans wrote. 
damn good one, but it's not holy writ. So, yeah, if we both agree in a social compact and the Constitution is the arbiter of said compact, then I am totally fine adhering to the Constitution. If you, however, are overrunning my border, stealing my elections, murdering my children, uh, castrating my sons, chest binding my daughters, injecting my young adult, a generation of young adults with satanic influences. No, 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 no. Because I could quote all the constitutional provisions at you. I want, are you going to, do you care? No. We do this with the Bible. I know what we should do before someone goes in and robs a bank, yell out, thou shalt not steal. And the person will say, you know what? Hot damn. I appreciate you telling me that. Thank you. Just turns around and walks out. No. That's why we have cops. And they should shoot them before they put a gun to the teller's head, right? That's what they should do. What do we do to a cop who doesn't act while the bank robber puts the gun at the teller's head and pulls the trigger? Well, nowadays, maybe we give that cop an award. But what does a just society do? That cop's in trouble, right? Yes. His job was to pull his trigger before the bank robber pulled his. Social compacts are not suicide packs. The Constitution is a social compact. The Bible is holy writ. There are some things I'm not allowed to do to you no matter what you do to me because they violate the higher law. I am not allowed to bear false witness about you no matter how many times you bear false witness about me. I'm not allowed to steal from you no matter how many times you steal from me. That's transcendent law. The transcendent law of the universe. That's not what the Constitution is. It's, a social, it's the itemization of a social compact. We the people, in order to form a more perfect union. That's a compact. What does the, the previous document that actually founded the country say when people no longer have ties that bind them together? What does it say to do with unions in that case? Dissolve them which is exactly what the Declaration of Independence is. It's an argument of succession. It's a, de- it's a declaration of it, in fact. We're free and independent states now. We're not Englishmen anymore. We're Americans. So, I am not going to hold myself to the Constitution against people shredding it. If we all agree that that's the law, okay. Then we can argue and debate about what it says and what it doesn't say. But if we are just now holistically, if you're just holistically rejecting it on its premise, then no. No, I, I, I am no longer going to submit myself to that. Because that is, that, is a, that is me basically surrendering to you. And I'm not going to do that. Next question. This, in my opinion, is a great question, one that we could probably do an entire hour, if not a show on. Oh, yes, we could. Cole Knockweiler <laughs> says, what does DeSantis have to do to avoid ending up like the 2016 Cruz campaign? Don't spend, a, don't spend a damn month apologizing to Ben Carson for something he never did and looking like a bunch of effeminate losers while you're doing it. 
I, I, I don't think I'll, I, I have unresolved PTSD from that experience. And I frankly, it may never be resolved. I'll probably take that with me to my grave. The hours we put in the stress of that race, everything that we leveraged in that race to win it. And we did. And then to watch the campaign just completely unravel over a lie. I, I doubt I'll ever get over it, frankly. So don't do that. Okay? Don't do that. That's my first piece of advice. Don't apologize for nothing you, for something you didn't do. And sure as hell don't apologize for it for six weeks. Don't do that. Secondly, they're meeting. My understanding is there's a meeting in Tallahassee of the DeSantis Presidential Brain Trust right now. If I was given 10 minutes in that room to say whatever I want, here's one of the first things I would say. You have an advantage we didn't have on the Cruz campaign, a record. In 2016, everybody had to project. Cruz didn't have much of a record. He'd been a senator for barely half a term in a Democratic Senate. And Trump had no record. So everybody was projecting. And that's why the persona and the stagecraft mattered so much because everything was a projection. There was no record to pivot to. You have an incredible record. Every day when they throw something at you, like these leaked debate tapes that no one cares about stuff like this. It's supposed to make him look bad. Yeah, no one. And they don't, I don't even think they look, they make him look bad, but it's meant to be a distraction. Because even if they make you look good, you're talking about debate tapes from four years ago and not resetting the itemization of accomplishments, Aaron, that you had in your montage. Trump doesn't campaign. He does rallies and psyops. And they're very effective on the right. It's very debatable how effective they are on the left and to the left. Frankly, it's very debatable how effective they are outside of about 40% of the right. It's even more debatable how effective they are in doing anything to deter the left. Now, we'd never seen anything like this before. No one ever had campaigned like Trump's. So this was all new. We didn't know what was real and what was not. You now do. You have the experience, the benefit of experience. Now, almost all of it's BS. Almost all of it is just complete and total BS designed to get you off message and responding to Trump instead of you having your own message. In the sign at Michigan, there was a sign in the locker room at Michigan. Bo put it there. And they got rid of it for a few years. Not coincidentally, when they got rid of it, they got their asses kicked by Ohio State every year after they got rid of it. And then Jim, Har Jim Harbaugh finally put it back. What have you done to beat Ohio State today? There ought to be a proverbial sign within the DeSantis campaign. Is, is this, is fill in the blank this, worthy of talking about that instead of our record? And I promise you, over 90% of the time, the answer is going to be no. Almost every time you talk about something other than your record, it's a win for Trump, no matter what it is. Even, even if you're talking about these debate tapes and they may actually make you look good, Trump would rather have the DeSantis ecosystem on Twitter talking about the debate tapes than the laundry list of accomplishments at the, in the legislative session. That he doesn't want to have to deal with. He wants to deal with sideshow stuff. BS. That's his home field. That's where he wins. It's very signal jamming. 
yes. uh, type of thing. And it's and I understand why it's difficult not to interrupt you. I understand why it's difficult because he does a great job of coming yeah. at you seemingly from every angle, regardless of whether there's truth or regardless of whether it's important. It's very signal jamming. If this is about who is who based on accomplishments is best prepared to lead the next generation, Ron DeSantis will win. If it's about literally anything else, I promise you he won't. And so if I'm on Team DeSantis every day, no matter which of these things that get thrown at us that almost no one voting in Iowa, New Hampshire will ever see, nor in the few that do won't care when they vote nine months from now. Ask yourself constantly. You're in Nehemiah mode. Is this worthy of coming down from the wall to address? Sometimes it might be. I mean, I don't know Ron DeSantis. I don't know if he's got skeletons in his closet. I have no clue. I don't know. And if you do, those things come out. You got to address those, right? Mm-hmm. But this other stuff, almost barring that, everything else is just all a show. It's just all BS. It's a reality show. Anybody that wants the reality show, you were never getting their vote anyway. And it may turn out most people want the reality show. Wouldn't shock me if it was true. Kind of fact, I kind of think it is, frankly, after my experience on the cruise campaign. But you have an advantage that we didn't have, a record to actually pivot to. Every day when they throw this BS at you, you ought to ask yourselves, is it worth expending any oxygen on this other than our accomplishments? And I promise you, over 95% of the time, the answer is going to be no. That's the, that's, to me, that's the very biggest, first and biggest challenge. The other is, understand in the debates, you're getting attacked by everybody. Trump, Vivek, Haley, they're all attacking you. So you're basically the favorite in the race from a behavioral, from a, um, uh, from a c- competitive standpoint, the way that you'll re- relate to one another day one. So better be ready. They all want to be the alternative to Trump, so they're not going to criticize him because they don't want to piss off Trump's base. So they're going to go after you because you're in their way. And then you know he's coming after you too. So better be ready to go one on five day one. And if you're not, you're done. This is the big leagues now. Not to say Florida's not. It is. But this is the show. Before we get out of here, there is one asset that has withstood famine, wars, political, economic upheaval, dating back to even biblical times, and that is gold. Right now, you can own it in a tax-sheltered retirement account with the help of Birch Gold. That's right. They'll help you convert even an existing IRA or 401k, maybe even from a previous employer, into an IRA in gold. And the best part, you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Just text Steve to 989-898. Get your free information kit on gold right now when you do. If you're as frustrated with the alleged digital currency called Bitcoin that was supposed to be opposite of the business cycle and yet seems to behave in accordance to it. Not that I'm frustrated at all. If that's you, text Steve because I might be texting that myself after the show today. Text Steve to 989-898. Get your free info kit on gold now. Find out why Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Thousands of happy customers. Again, text Steve to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Text Steve to 989-898. Any final thoughts? Are we done? We didn't get to a lot of good questions. No? No. You want to save some of those for next week then? 
Will they last? Are they time sensitive? What do you think? No, I think they'd last, yeah. All right, we'll save some of those for next week then. In fact, if you have enough, we won't even solicit questions for next week if you think you have enough. Well, I'll I'll need a couple more, but well, it depends on how verbose you plan on being. (laughs) All right, we're going to stick around and do overtime for Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of you, we'll see you tomorrow. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.